This podcast is brought to you by Bonus Room Productions and We Own This Town. I am Jason T. Mears Esquire. And I'm Kelly Hoyle Bullock. And we are San Dimas Today. How's it going, Kelly? Hey, JT. It's going pretty well. You know, I'm feeling very fortunate, very lucky right now uh, in the part of the country that we live in. I have a backyard, and that is my life and my world, and it's what's getting me through. There's a hammock. Uh, I ordered a fire pit. Um, Things are looking up, man. I have a buddy uh, I was talking to, and he's like, man, it's been really rough. I got two small kids, got a wife, and he's like, how are you guys handling it? I'm like, yeah, you know, it's okay. Uh, wife and I both take like a night off a week, which is like six o'clock. We give the kids a hug good night. Then we go lock ourselves up in a room and watch movies or listen to music or whatever we want to do. And then just like have that room to ourselves. And he's like, Oh, that's great that you can do that. I live in Brooklyn and, uh, I can't do that. I have three rooms and there are four of us and we're never alone ever. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate to be in the position that I am because it, it's crazy. It, like, uh, th- this is Elwood. I'm talking about our buddy Elwood. He, he's like, he's in it, man. He's in he's it. He's New York living, man. New York living. Yeah. Yeah. It's a price to pay. And we always thought that price was rent, but evidently there's another price, which is <laughs> space. <laughs> yeah. Space. Um, so I'm glad you're alive. I'm excited for your fire pit. Is it, is it propane? Is it actual wood? Wood, wood. Yeah. I'll be burning wood. Oh. I'll be burning okay. the trees of the Amazon to the ground, okay. I guess. Excellent. I'm that guy. You and McDonald's. You and McDonald's. You know what? I'm very excited. Oh, my God. Fast Five. Incredible. I, I will say it right now. My favorite thus far. And there's a lot to talk about here. But I think the biggest news is that we have a very special guest that's very close to our hearts. I'm, I'm really excited we made this happen. Uh, so our other very best friend brian stearman who happens to be the biggest car guy that we know and also probably the guy that drives most like the drivers in the fast and the furious that we know (laughs) brian stearman is joining us to talk about these movies and uh, give us some insight into the cars and also some thoughts on the movie so brian stearman thank you for joining us what's up guys we were just talking that uh it's it's just so great to hear your voice because we never really talk to each other on the phone. and talk, Talking on the phone is, is not my thing, really. <laughs> you say that, but listeners should know that we do have a group chat text open that's been going for like four years. And I will wake <laughs> up in the morning and have like 20 texts from you. And it's like, there's a constant stream of information that's going. It's just, you're not a guy who does it via voice. I think that... That group uh, chat has been going for closer to 20 years. I think since <laughs> since you got married, Jason. Yeah, probably. Probably. Oh, my God. It's I been think. almost 20 years. Yikes. We could check our archive and, and uh, Google and see exactly what that first timestamp was. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. So let me ask you, Brian, um, what's your familiarity with the Fast and the Furious franchise? Uh, I've seen, um, as a point of order, I've seen the first movie. I watched it a couple weeks ago. Okay. Uh, and then as a, uh, sort of a homework assignment for tonight, I watched fast five, uh, yesterday afternoon between painting jobs. Okay. So 
to be clear, like you, you've not watched these movies before. You've not run the series. You, you, you have very little frame of reference for the actual story arc of the films. I, yeah, I mean, pretty much. I have, I've, like I said, I've seen the first one. I may have seen about 25% of Tokyo Drift, and I'm sure I've seen bits and pieces of others in the franchise, but yeah, I can only say I've seen one and five all okay. the way through enough to talk about them intelligently, at least. Okay, well, well this, is, this is great because we've not had this opportunity to talk to somebody about this with your frame of reference. As a sequel, what do you think of Fast Five from the first movie? Like, how do those two, like, mesh uh, on a narrative arc? I don't know. To me, the production value was obviously much, much higher. So, I mean, if I, without even looking at numbers, um, I could guess it's probably got a much higher budget. I've always kind of had a soft spot for Vin Diesel. So Vin Diesel is always fun for me to watch uh, going back to the uh, Chronicles of Riddick stuff. Um, you know, one of the things I, I did notice as I was watching the movie is that, you know, Paul Walker, I don't know how many acting gigs Paul Walker had, had before that first movie. Uh, and not that Paul Walker will have ever been accused of having a big range as an actor, but he did seem a lot more comfortable in that movie in the fifth movie than he did in the first movie. I thought that was notable. Yeah, I, I would completely agree with that. Um, you know, that really stuck out to me. I thought Paul Walker's acting in this movie was awesome. Just the whole shift from race car lifestyle movie to a full-on sure. like big-budget heist movie. Paul Walker, that whole cast, like it kind of turned ensemble, and I'm like, I'm like watching Ocean's Eleven or something. You know, it's great. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, personally, yeah, this is the the Rock's first movie. Um, I do feel like he was, if he had been in all the 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 previous four movies, like he felt like sort of a missing piece, like just like you're saying, as far as that ensemble cast goes, uh, he was the missing the missing link. Well, I I think that's absolutely right with the Rock, and this is something I was going to bring up. He reminds me of like the Lafleur's character, right? Or uh, Tommy Lee Jones from The Fugitive. Hey, you that's know, like, incredible that you bring up Tommy Lee Jones. Did you know that his role? They originally uh, wrote it for Tommy Lee Jones, and then uh, a fan—I uh, don't know if it was through social media or how it happened—but someone put it in the idea of Vin Diesel to make it for The Rock, and so they rewrote it for him. How incredible I mean, is that? It totally makes sense because you're watching this and like Hobbs in this movie, right? He is a mm -hmm. uh, special agent Gerard or wh whatever the character was in the fugitive. He's yeah. like, I am a man. I do my job. I don't, it's that famous scene from the fugitive where Harrison Ford is about to jump out the, the drain pipe. And he's like, you know, I didn't kill my wife. And Tommy Lee Jones says, I don't care. That is Hobbs. <laughs> You know, like that is the point of reference for Hobbs. And what a great point of reference for a, uh, a character like that. Just, it, yeah, so great. So great. And I mean, like, is there a more charismatic action star working right now than Dwayne The Rock Johnson? I mean, I, I feel like Vin Diesel's close at this point. My experience with Vin Diesel, these are the only movies I've ever seen Vin Diesel in. And good Lord, he's winning me over. I mean, Vin Diesel's amazing, especially in these movies. He does a phenomenal job. And the guy, like, you know, off screen when he's doing interviews and stuff, he seems like totally approachable, totally a normal dude. But I swear, like, the, I for me, The Rock is next level. Dwayne Johnson is next level charismatic. He's like if Sylvester Stallone, not Sylvester Stallone, I'm sorry, Arnold Schwarzenegger 
had better diction and was handsomer, you know? <laughs> I feel like that's what this really, like with the 90s, the, this is our Stallone and Schwarzenegger. Ooh. And we didn't really, like who else was there in the 90s? Like these guys are beefcake, but they're fun. And the scenes together are electric, man. I, I'll, I'll, okay, who else did you have? I'll, I'll throw a couple out there. Bruce Willis. Yeah. Which I, I I I guess I think of him more primetime '80s action. So I still have him like like he he's of the. I feel like he's the wrong, generation. You're wrong, but I understand what you're saying. I, I, wrong, <laughs> what you're saying. <laughs> I, no, I mean like I, I get it. You know he he sustained some pretty good action flicks throughout the '90s. Obviously, um, I mean Stallone and Schwarzenegger were total '80s dudes. They they predated Bruce Willis in the '80s. And so, like, I, I feel like Bruce Willis's big action breakthrough was Die Hard, right? That was '88. Yeah, true. You know, and both Stallone and Schwarzenegger had been um, the main events in action films for at least they, five years prior to that. You know, maybe I need to back up and say my argument is for the aughts and not the '90s. Okay. Yeah. Apologies. Okay. Apologies. Okay. My whole premise—it right. was just, just terrible. It was false. <laughs> Again, it's okay because you edit this thing. You can cut the entire thing out. So I'm going to try to cut as much of that out as I can. Uh, <laughs> what do you let, think, let, Stearman? Do <laughs> I'm just I, I've, I've been lost in a daydream thinking about a Fast and Furious movie filmed in the style of No Country for Old Men. Ooh, yeah, that'd be great. A, th- a thinking man's Fast and Furious movie, if you will. Mm. Right, like. Mm. Like they're Logan, you know, something. There's just a couple of them left. Javier Bardem is is uh, the big baddie, big European uh, baddie. Uh, some world terrorist plot that you know, the gang <laughs> can uncover and foil. But it's all dusty. Maybe that's how we finally bring Tommy Lee Jones into the uh, franchise. Better hurry. He's not got many years left. <laughs> Shut your mouth, Brian Stearman. Shut your mouth. <laughs> hey, I'll be just as sad as everybody else when it, when it goes. It's I've got an old dog downstairs that I joke about killing every day. In the same way, just, it's just going to yeah. happen soon, whether I want it to or not. Uh, and hey, congratulations, Kelly. We reached our darkest moment on this podcast. <laughs> That's right. The darkest timeline with Stearman. All you had to do is put me on a microphone. So that Tommy Lee Jones thing is amazing, right? And one of the most striking things about Fast Five, I feel like this is the first time they really click. They move into kind of Engines 11 territory, right? Where this becomes a true heist film and they bring in all these characters from the other films and they're all archetypes and almost all of these archetypes could be superimposed in oceans 11. Right. So this movie did a great job of taking the fast and the furious elements that worked throughout all the films. And that's the cars and the family chemistry, and then superimposing a lot of interesting elements from other blockbusters or really cool movies. And they definitely took the best cast members from the past movies, which was really smart. First and foremost, Han, right? First and foremost, Han. And let me tell you, I was totally digging the uh, the sub the sort of the subplot of Han and Giselle uh, Gal Gadot getting together. I mean, that worked so great. Though I will have to say, the, the maybe the one thing plot wise that fell a little flat was uh, uh, Vin Diesel and the what the local Rio de Janeiro cop that's that's working with uh, the Rock hooking up. Yep. Like. Yep. That kind of popped out of nowhere. I was like, all right, I'll accept it. Yeah. Well, yeah. 
if I may interject, there's a couple things that 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 being one of them where it felt like maybe some footage ended up on the cutting room floor. Uh, and then what I thought, too, is that it was there maybe a sequence they filmed where uh, who's the uh, the Crow Magnon uh, D bag from the first movie is Vince. Is that his name? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Vince. Yeah, the, it felt like to me there may have been a scene somewhere in this movie that was originally filmed where he may have done a second double cross. Oh yeah. Like this, the, the time where he came back and, you know, then diesel welcomed him back with opening uh, open arms and uh, they hugged and they had ribs and all that stuff. It felt like to me, there may have been a sequence in there somewhere where, you know, maybe he had a gun to his head and he had to double cross him again and whatever. I, but. I, I think you could be right. Like maybe he ended up setting them all up. But then, like, maybe the original intention was something like he died to protect them anyway. Uh, but then right. maybe they were like, eh, everything, there's just a little too much of everything. We'll just make it where he's cool now and he'll die. <clears throat> I, I like, so that was great. Uh, seeing Vince again, it was awesome. Uh, he's, he was just kind of that perfect uh, action movie douchebag, uh, but then provides a bit of the redemption arc and inspiration for the ending of the movie right it was cool bring him back and he was a little bit more nuanced this time because in the first movie he's like oh i hate brian my motivation <laughs> is hating brian and i dislike brian and that was it so i mean like now with him having the kid named after you know dominic yeah, that was nice yeah. and also hell of a beard on that guy right like that's 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 a five-star beard that <laughs> yeah I like that actor a lot. Uh, it's great to see him back. Um, obviously, we get Tyrese Gibson and Ludacris together, which seems kind of monumental. Those guys had great chemistry. Uh, Jordana Brewster, let me just say, you know, not my favorite actress. I'll be honest with you. I first remember her in The Faculty, but I did a little research on Jordana Brewster, and I found something that blew my mind. So she is the daughter of a Brazilian model who was on the 78 cover of Sports Illustrated, but then her father was like an American investment investment banker, but she is descended from William Brewster of the Mayflower, like Whoa. <laughs> the freaking pilgrim Whoa. who came over. And then apparently because of that, she's actually related to all these other famous people, and I found that kind of interesting. You know, her role definitely got a lot better in this, uh, where she was less of a wallflower, I think, and more... They gave her more. They gave her more. They gave her a lot more. Um, I thought she was... It was a tougher role for her, but I don't know. It's it's, it's the same thing I get with Katie Holmes sometimes, where I just... Certain people act with just from, like, the neck up. (laughs) I think that's what seems like. Are you talking about the Elijah Dushku head bob? (laughs) Where where every time they're talking or emoting, it's all through just above the neck and the the head moves while they're delivering lines? Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah. Um, I'll I'll admit it, man. Like, I got got no qualms with Jordana Brewster. She's an early crush of mine. I think she does a fine job here. I would lay all of the blame on the writing for the female characters. But I think with this one, the writing for the female character, the writing overall just jumped like 10 notches. And a lot of that was somebody went in and was like, okay, every character in here, it was almost a Coen Brothers philosophy that they tried to bring in. They're like, okay, we have all these different characters. We have to make sure they're all distinct and that there's somebody that can imprint on them. So they did the thing where every character kind of speaks in their own language, right? 
and I they put that for everyone. Uh, Giselle during the last uh, movie, she she was fine. I mean, it's like Gal Gadot. She's Gal Gadot, so you're going to notice her, right? But in this movie, she actually had a backstory. Um, she had motivation. She had her own internal logic. And they, they applied that to every single character. And it really shone through. I totally agree. I feel like this is where I'm supposed to chime in with more of my theatrical insights. But I think both of you know that's not my thing. <laughs> You're doing great, buddy. You're doing great. <laughs> Uh, I, I would also like to take a moment to uh, tribute the actor playing the villain, uh, Joaquim de Almeida. He has a place in my heart as Bucho and uh, Desperado. Uh, he's also the drug lord in Clear and Present Danger. Yep. Apparently, he was hesitant taking this role because it's like, hey, the same role I've always been in every action movie. But uh, but I think he talked with Justin Lin and, and they talked him into it. Uh, love this guy. Love him. Yeah, oh, he's, he's just great. great. He's great. Yeah. And I'm sure he got paid a decent salary for, for appearing in this film, which might have helped. $125 million budget, and then they at least doubled that in the U.S. box office and internationally. Yeah. I, what, what I find interesting, not, not that I know a ton plot-wise in the future movies, but it seems like each Fast and Furious movie tops the next one in terms of box office earnings. It, yeah. And for good reason, because with this one, they were like, you know what? Let's try something completely different. And that's spend a metric butt ton of money and just turn it into an, a giant heist international film. And totally worked. As far as bringing back the other characters from the other movies, like there, there's this transition. And it, it this is the movie where it becomes the most glaring, right? You think back to the first film, The Fast and the Furious. What were Dominic and his crew trying to do? They were trying to uh, steal DVD players. Right. From, from, from right? <laughs> and they, and they, they weren't particularly excellent at it, right? Like, they were just kind of a local crime ring that was fighting with other local crime rings. And you go from that to, uh, you know, dragging this safe down Metropolitan Rio de Janeiro, right? Using two different cars. That, <laughs> I, I, I think... This is most exemplified by the character of Tej, who in Too Fast, Too Furious ran a garage. But now suddenly in this film, he's the best computer guy on the East Coast. Oh, he's also a hacker. So not only is he running a, a garage, but he's a hacker now. I found it funny that at the end of the movie, when they got their money, he's like, I'm going to start my own garage. And I kept thinking, didn't you already have your own garage? Yes, but yes he did. Maybe he was just the manager of that garage and didn't own it. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I got all this money. I'm going to go do the exact same thing I was doing before. <laughs> Peace, y'all. You know what? I'm good. I'm good. You did stick around for the, the post-credit scene, right? Right. So, thank God. Uh, Letty. So, I assume that means she'll be back. I also assume that nobody is dead when it comes to the Fast and the Furious. <laughs> Everybody's dead. Everybody's dead. Every, everyone's dead. All deaths are real and they last forever. Do not is watch... Do not watch the preview for the movie that is coming out next, Fast 9. Is is this going to be like Lost, where we've, we've just been in purgatory this entire time? <laughs> I, it's going to kind of feel like it, but in a good way. In a good way. So, Brian. Brian, what, what's your favorite car in this movie? What I was looking for, uh, I've only been to, I've been to Central America, Mexico one time. And when I, when I realized this was going to be filmed in South America, I was kind of looking out for 
all the and just from like walking around in downtown Cancun for four hours, the the everyday cars that you see are much different. But I could tell in this movie that they basically just brought in a lot of, a lot of older American cars that looked like they could be built in Central America or South America. Um, the My favorite car uh, was the one – I forget who was driving it. Who was the Japanese guy? What was his name? Han. Han, yeah. I think Han was driving it. I think it was like a 70 or 71 – I forget what year. Chevy Vega. Uh, well, if you, if you don't know what cars are, you won't know. But it was – Black, I think, in primer. Um, that car was pretty nice. A lot of people wouldn't realize it uh, if you didn't already know know cars a little bit. The Skyline that Paul Walker was driving um, was probably next to that that Porsche, that blue Porsche 911. Mm-hmm. Was probably the most expensive car. But just the, as far as special cars go, I would I have to go with that Skyline. Chevy yeah. Vega was. Uh, or was it a Maverick? I think it was actually a Maverick now that I'm thinking about it. A Maverick was my mom's dream car when when she was turning 18 and wanted to buy her first car, which is funny. <laughs> nice. It, it, it's interesting you mentioned the Skyline because you know me. We, we've lived together. I know jack crap about cars. But I knew the Skyline, and the Skyline is actually Paul Walker's character, Brian's like preferred car in these movies. So in the second film, the first car that he's racing, if I'm not mistaken, is a Skyline. And I knew that because of playing Gran Turismo 2 with you in college. You had that issue of car and driver in, in our bathroom that was like, when's the Skyline coming to America? And I'm like, oh, it's a Skyline. I do believe that that was something watching the first movie that I noticed. All the Skylines, and I think there was probably more than one in several of the shots in that movie. Like That car was illegal to drive in the United States. It's got to be 25 years or older before you can legally import them. So uh, I I have to go back and look at what the years are, but I, the the one that everyone you know the one from uh, Gran Turismo uh, and the one that everyone talks about now the Skyline GTR that you know all the uh, the racer boys out there talk about that car I believe in the next year or two will be officially legal to import the United States and there's already there's lots of Japanese importers I was reading this article a couple of months ago uh, lots of Japanese importers that are sort of frowning upon uh, exporting these cars from japan to the united states because it's thinning the herd in japan and you can't find them in japan now either that's pretty cool that's a tidbit one of the cars uh that that warehouse scene where they're trying to beat the uh the 10 second window Mm -hmm. for the oscillating camera um there was a 370z in there i've actually been looking i was actually ready to pull the trigger on one of those a couple months ago uh to buy one for myself but uh pandemic has put a halt on those plans for now. Funny how that works. So uh, I wanted to bring up, you know, what I thought was really the, I mean, the crux of this whole movie, that last action sequence where they've got the vault and Mm -hmm. Vin Diesel turns around and uses the vault to like take out every car. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was, I was reading up on the stunts that they did for that, and it, and it looks absolutely insane. There were certain up-close sequences with the vault where they actually just had what looks like the vault attached to like the front of a semi oh, for wow. when it was actually taking the cars out yeah. for the up-close up scenes. And then towards the end, what they wanted to do was have the vault hang off the bridge with one of the Dodge Chargers. But then they realized that it was too heavy even for the Dodge Charger, so they scrapped that whole idea. What did they say uh, in the movie? Like earlier in the movie, I think it was uh, I forget what character it said, but they they basically just said it was ten tons of safe. Yeah, 
which is 20,000 pounds. I, I would think that even, you know, two of those Dodge Chargers would have trouble pulling it, but it was a cool scene. Wouldn't they have Hemis, though? They did have Hemis. You could tell that because there was Hemi audio, for sure. <laughs> I, I don't know many Central American uh, or South American um, police departments that have American sedans with V8s as their squad cars, but it was a cool touch. It was a great driving scene. Like, these movies are known for these, and this this was like the marquee one, right? There, earlier in the movie was was there a lot of racing in this one? You had basically a what a train heist, and yeah, uh, yeah. train heist, the train heist. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, when Dwayne's team arrests them all, you have that sequence where they're being hauled out in those vehicles, and then they get ambushed, right? Uh, but yeah. still, that's that's none of that's a racing. They're not racing sequences, really. Although one would imagine that train was going very fast. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. And and the uh, the, the uh, police, when they realize that the train is being robbed, probably pretty angry. So <laughs> I think we got it. I think we I think we nailed it there. So Kelly, what do you what do you think is going to happen in the next one? Uh, you you've already got some clues from that post credit scene. Sure, sure. Like, okay. First of all. I want to see more Eva Mendez, that's for sure. Um, and then second, and not far behind, I want to see more Michelle Rodriguez. So all that's intriguing. I feel like it could go any which way. Like, part of me is intrigued. Like, is Michelle Rodriguez, like, who's she working for, right? Has she been underground? How did she survive? You know, is she working for a bad guy or a good guy? <laughs> yeah yeah man i'm not going to answer those questions for you because all you got to do is turn on the next movie and find it out and i'm, I'm so excited because the mythology at this point is set but every movie just kind of doubles back on itself and folds itself yeah. and it becomes like japanese steel where it just gets crazier and crazier but it makes more and more internal sense yeah i'm so excited so excited i, I was reading some good stuff as far as like Justin Lin and at this point, uh, Vin Diesel's a producer and it's like, it seems like just everybody's getting on the same page and this whole move, successful move to this becoming a heist movie series now, uh, it, it just makes me even more pumped because that was, I mean, Fast Five, it, 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 this was the best popcorn movie thus far. I was just pretty well enthralled through the whole thing you know it, it, it had all the hallmarks of what you want and those kind of movies it was like top gun or something where you know some stuff's dumb you know you you have chiseled actors and homoerotic scenes and it's just everything you need out of an action movie <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the rest of them kind of following that lead oh, yeah. so um, and you know, you got two more with Paul Walker. You got two more. So, wow. Okay. So that was, I didn't want to straight up ask you that, but I, I am, I wasn't certain at what point he dies and he's not in the movie. So I'm, I'm telling you that now because I was going through these series the first time and I knew that he had died during the production of one of them. And it got kind of frustrating watching, wondering as like, Oh, is Paul Walker going to die in this one? Uh, you're free and clear for six. And then, you know, you got some internal tur turmoil for yourself with fast uh, seven so i'm gonna get my tissues i'm gonna get my tissues oh. for that i was gonna ask do they substitute a cgi paul walker in the seventh movie to finish out his role how, how did well i guess i won't can't run it for kelly i i will i will say this uh they went through substantial 
rewrite and they used some CGI and they also used his two brothers as stand-ins. Uh, the movie doesn't necessarily suffer for it. It's a, an interesting arc and it, it's done well, but I, I would have loved to have seen what the original script called for. Right. Now, now that you've uh, like jumped on, you've seen the first one, the fifth one, what, what's the likelihood you're going to watch six? I think, well, I'll probably go back and watch uh, two, three and four, and then maybe I'll come back to six. Uh, I think these, I think I've decided these are clean enough, except for maybe some of the gratuitous miniskirt shots um, that I've noticed in the first and fifth movies um, that I think I might have the kids watch along with me and they would probably enjoy it. I'll say this right now. um, If you're looking for an even little bit cleaner version of it, USA is currently you can do through USA their on demand stuff. And I think stream all of them or most of them. And they are Mm -hmm. the, edited for tv versions so it's funny i actually watched half of the first one that way uh before i got tired of the uh the clean language and the the dubs and went back and rented it for myself on google play yeah i I love with movies edited for television like the older they are the more hilarious the overdubs are exactly Uh, Exactly. (laughs) young guns was on the other night and uh <laughs> There's so many good ones in that one. <laughs> Where did I see that on? T- I was watching that on network TV myself just like two or three weeks ago, and I was laughing my yeah at uh, all the terrible dubs. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. For me, the 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 greatest ever will be the you know YPKA Mother Falcon. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We should do a whole episode on the best like. Network television censored overdubs for action movies. I'm, well, I'm, I'm all in. I, I'm in too. You know what? This pandemic's never going to end. Um, so we got all the time in the world, right? So Stearman, it's been so great having you on. Uh, I can't tell you how much it means to us that we can have one of our very best friends on here. Uh, I thought it went over naturally. I think you sounded great. I think everyone's going to love you. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, it's nice to actually be on the podcast. When you guys first started uh, San Dimas, I remarked to Jason, I believe, that it was a little like listening to your best friends have a conversation in the corner of the room, but being unable to join in. So this has been it's been fun. It's been great. And we look forward to your your spinoff podcast, um, whatever you decide to do. It's going <laughs> to I have the feeling this is going to be the beginning of an epic podcast empire for Brian K. Stearman. Oh, yeah, because people are crazy, you know, clamoring for. Uh, to hear what I have to say next, I'm sure. You'd be surprised, man. I mean, people listen to Kelly and I, so what do you want? <laughs> but I hope at least by having you on, you've taken us off your list of people to kill. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm erasing the lipstick right now. All right, guys. I cannot wait till this is all over and we can give ourselves giant man hugs, have a few drinks, and sit around our, our whatever fire pit we choose. We should also thank Michael Eads and We Own This Town for producing this uh, podcast for us. And uh, Scott Bricklin in Scooby Tunes Music for the use of the most excellent theme song, Walk Away. And people, we just want you all to be excellent to each other throughout this time, but do it in a safe way. Party on life, dude. So, well, Stearman, uh, it's been... Wait. So, Stearman, ahead. it's... <laughs> you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> All right, do, do you want to do you want to lead us out, Jason? It's fine. No, go for it. Go for it. Uh, thanks, Stearman. I'll thank Michael, and then we'll go from there. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> go ahead. So, Stearman, it's so been Stearman. so great. 
Yeah, that's. I thought you were going to do that. I knew you were going to do that, you fucking asshole. <sighs> definitely put that in the tag for your daughter to hear. <laughs> so, <Okay>. Steerman. <laughs> 